Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to Business Builders Show, where we feature champions of their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about the multifamily entrepreneur with Gino Barbero. Now, Gino is a realtor and an investor who's become an authority on multifamily investing. He's got over 15 years of experience in the real estate industry. In just three of those investing years, he's managed to expand his portfolio to a total of 675 units. In addition to being a successful investor, podcaster, and entrepreneur, Gino is also a life coach, a certified professional coach educated by the Institute for Professional uh, excellence in coaching. On top of all of that, Gino is also the author of two best-selling books. The first uh, is the most likely to be, a, uh, be of interest to real estate investors, and that's called Wheelbarrow Profits, How to Create Passive Income, Build Wealth, and Take Control of Your Destiny Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing. He has a popular podcast called Jake and Gino podcast that Gino hosts with his business partner, Jake Senziano. Gino, it's fantastic to have you here, my friend. Thanks, Bill. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Now, I think I know, but our listeners who would include potential employees, vendors, property owners, all kinds of people wonder, who in the world do you guys serve? I think the first person that I serve is God. I think that's the first thing that I think about every day when I get up in the morning. If I'm doing something right, is it his will? I try to think about that all the time because that really leads to all of my actions. As you get older, you really it's become a forefront to me. We just got over the Easter holiday weekend. The second one is my family. That's the second group of people that I serve. Am I being the role model? Am I being the financial steward? Am I being that person that my kids look up to and they're proud of? So that really shapes my thought and processes for the day, where I spend my time, what do I have to sacrifice and what I don't. I think the third person group that I serve is my employees. If my employees aren't happy, if I don't have a vision for them, if I don't tell them why we're doing something, especially now with the millennials, they need to know today, not tomorrow. They need to know what Jake and Gino is all about and what Ram Property Management is all about. So I keep them at the forefront. And I want to, as a leader, I want to know if I'm doing right. I want that feedback. I want, I want their feedback and I want them to actually help me with the vision as well. The next group of people is uh, in the Jake and Gino community are mentorship students. I, I want to serve them as well as possible. We're vertically integrated, so we do the entire process of, of multifamily real estate. We buy assets, we sell, we you know we teach, we property manage. So we're in the business, and being in the business is very important if you're going to teach students. And we've had students have closed over 30, 38,000 units to date. So we have a really robust community. So for me, creating content for them podcasts, writing multiple books. That, that has been really one of my, you know, I guess the last five years, one of my biggest focuses. And then ultimately we have a hundred year real estate brand and we have a property management company as well. So we have a bunch of different businesses going on, but ultimately I would put it in that order, Bill. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. I love the inclusion of God. Now my next question is what problems do you solve? And he doesn't have any problems, or she doesn't have any problems. <laughs> but uh, in general, the oh, everybody else you listed has problems. So uh, focusing on, on all of those or one of those uh, groups that you serve, Gino, uh, what problems do you solve for them in the multifamily space? So in the multifamily space, I think people in general, especially our, our generation, 
We have lack of financial intelligence and, and lack of mindset. So I want to be the role model for that. I'm teaching children. I've created a personal finance academy. We've written a couple of kids' books. I mean, it all starts – I want to be the role model for parents to continue and begin that conversation about personal responsibility, about finding a mentor. And then for the adults out there, ultimately, people say they want to become financially free. And for me, over the years, when I became financially free, I equated that to time. I just wanted my time back, and I wanted to make empowering decisions. When I want to work, with who, why, and how long, whatever that looks like. I didn't want to retire on a beach, and for most of the people in my community, that's what they want. They want to make those empowering decisions. Do I go to work today? And for the most of them, yes, I'm still going to go to work. I'm probably going to even work harder because it's my own business. So I, I think those are the problems that we solve. And then ultimately with multifamily, just teaching our three-step framework. It's the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right. And the manage right portion is really, really important. And that's where systems come into play. And that's where multifamily entrepreneurship comes into play. Because most investors, when they start out, they don't have two things. They don't have an exit strategy. When I buy a deal, what do I do? Do I hold it forever? Do I sell it in three years? Do I refinance it? They don't have that framework yet because they're just buying quote unquote assets. And what they're doing is they're thinking about being a landlord instead of being ultimately an entrepreneur. That's why you get into multifamily because it's a scalable business. I had one restaurant for 20 years, and in multifamily, in the last six or seven years, I've scaled it up to 1,500 units. Not much has changed. Everybody out there, you don't need to radically change your life. just need to improve a few things, and it starts up here. Number one is responsibility, and number two is understanding that a business is scalable, but you need help because you weren't born with any of these skills. So going out there and teaching the students to manage right principles, which most educators don't because it's not sexy, Bill. You know, buying that asset, financing that asset, that's sexy. But that manager, right, we have the wheelbarrow, which is the wheel. It's in constant motion, constantly adding systems and constantly teaching these students that, listen, you're an entrepreneur. You're scaling a business. That's why you're in multifamily, not buying single-family homes because you're buying 20 units and 30 units. That's scalable. And then you're looking at the asset and going, hmm, I'm buying a business. I'm buying a little cash-generating machine here. I'm becoming an entrepreneur. I'm becoming an asset manager, not just a landlord. That That's beautiful. So I want to ask you how you solve these this, these problems. You've identified a bunch, and maybe one or two case studies. Maybe you can remember somebody uh, out of the recent past. You know, Sarah Jones, and just kind of walk us through how how this person uh, found you, mm-hmm. what you did, how you helped them out, and and if it takes a couple of case studies. You know, let's go have a couple of case studies. So just kind of walk us through the little story. Sure. Well, the first case study is the sample investor out there okay. doing single-family homes. I can't get into multifamily. It's too big. I don't have the money to do that. And, you know, Mark Twain says it best. The quote goes, it's not what you know. It's not what you know. That, that It's not what you don't know that will get you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So most people come off the premise of these limiting beliefs is they, they can't get into it. But there's something called syndication where you can actually go out and raise capital. So we've taught students who come into the game, and they're in these high markets, whether it's New York or California, and these deals don't make sense. So we help students invest outside their market. We get help students who, you know, like you said, I can bring in Brian Alfaro down in Houston, Texas. He had a coffee shop. He had a couple of coffee shops as an entrepreneur. He's like, I want to get into multifamily because I can see the tax benefits, the amazing tax benefits that multifamily investors have. How do I do that? Can I go out and buy a fourplex or an eightplex? 
And for him, he's like, hmm, that doesn't make sense to me because I don't have the time to do that. I don't want to personally manage these assets. So he goes into the Jake and Gino community. He finds a couple of students. They become partners. And all of a sudden, they get into the game of syndication where they're starting to raise capital for other people's deals. And they do their first deal. And they're like, wow, that wasn't that hard. We were able to raise money. We got a little piece of the deal. But on the second deal, we're going to find our own deal, and we're going to do that for ourselves. That's one way of getting into multifamily. The second way, I'm going to hold up a book. It's called Creative Cash, Using Seller Financing, Master Lease Options, Creative Ways to Get Money to Get Down on a Property. Now, when I first started out 10, 15 years ago, it was very prevalent out there because there was a lot of deals, but there was no money. So we had to be really creative with the financing. But a lot of properties nowadays, as you see interest rates are going up and debt is pulling back a little bit, these techniques are going to come back for sure. So we've had a lot of students who have used creative financing as part of the down payment to put down on a property. And the list goes on and on. We've had students who've come on with 100 units and they're a total mess. They have no systems. I actually had a student last month say to me, I don't know how much money I'm making my properties. I said, Chad, that's a big problem. You keep buying deals, but you don't know how much money you're making. Let's teach you the property management systems, whether it's a weekly pulse, our cadence of accountability, getting on with property managers every week. Let's start talking about quarterly priorities. Let's talk about systems. Let's talk about sending out a weekly pulse every week with our key performance indicators. Because if you can't measure it, then you can't manage it. And if you can't manage it, whether you're making money or not, you don't have a true business. And it's not scalable that way. So we, we really test all gamuts, whether somebody's starting out new, somebody has experience. For us, we just want people to understand that multifamily is an entrepreneurial venture. Don't make the same mistakes that Jake and Gino did at the beginning, the I'm a mentality. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. It's okay to be I'm a for the first two or three deals, but then after that, I'm a gets burned out, and I'm a has to lose that old identity and really take that new identity of becoming that multifamily entrepreneur. Well, I love that uh, multiple family entrepreneur differentiation that you're making versus multifamily investor. So that gives me a little bit of indication how you're going to answer the next question, but you're in a extremely competitive market of all these, if you will, experts that are saying, come to me and I'll teach you how to do this. How do you and Jake differentiate yourself vis-a-vis your competition? You know, it's a great question, Bill. There's, a, I think, a few ways. The, the first way is that we're vertically integrated. We do the entire part of the business, and we're continuing to buy assets. We've just closed on four assets in the last six weeks. So that's, the very, that's very important. For you to be able to teach, you need to be on the, able on the cutting edge. The second thing is I would mentioned to you that manage right portion of the framework. We have our coaches. Uh, we have, I'm sorry. We have our property managers as coaches. So the students have access to all of our systems in the property management side of it because we don't want students just buying deals and then they can't implement you know, those systems. And I think third, and maybe probably just as important, we're not what we call the one-trick pony. We're not going to teach you just the syndication. We're going to teach you how to JV, joint venture with other students. We're going to teach you the creative uh, solutions as well. We're also going to teach you the market cycle. You can buy an asset in any part of the market cycle where the market is going up or the market is going down. And when do you buy these assets in whatever part of the market cycle? It's really, really important to understand that if somebody's just teaching one strategy, that's great. But we're in this for the long term. We're going to be able to see multiple market cycles in the next 15 or 20 years. Why don't we learn all the strategies now and learn when to use the strategies more effectively? That's beautiful. I love that. I love that soup to nuts orientation you guys have. I think, Gino, that uh, I have, and I believe our listeners now have a pretty darn good understanding of who you serve, uh, how you uh, solve problems. You gave me 
two great examples, brand new person with a coffee shop, somebody with 100 units already, beautiful uh, case studies. You told me how you differentiate yourself from your competition. I totally get it. So what I'd like to do is kind of graduate or, or move on, Gino, to how you went about building your business. Uh, you know, what were the milestones? What were some of the successes? What did you learn from the successes? What were some of the failures that you had? What did you learn from the failures? And if you want, Gino, go back and start with your with your restaurant business, if you like, or just start with uh, Jake and Gino, but your choice. So tell us about your journey, your story. Bill, how much time you got here? Because I'm an older man. I got six children here. So really important. This is important for everybody because for me, in 2007, my father passes away, and I've been at the restaurant. I've been working with him since I was eight years old. So at that time, I'm 38 years old, and I just love the restaurant business. But at that point, I was at a crossroads, and I think everyone at this moment really needs to think to themselves what Stephen Covey talks about. Start with the end in mind. What, is your, what do you want your life to look like at the end? And, and I really never did that because I would just assume that, hey, I'd be working with dad forever. I love the restaurant business. But that was my point where I said, am I building my dream or was I building my dream with my father? And at that time, the Great Recession just changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And for myself, I'm working harder and I'm making less. So I read the book by you know, T. Harv Eker, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And I'm like, wow, right. he's really a jerk, but he's right because – I was looking at from my perspective and I'm like, all these people are making tons of money, but I'm not, what are they doing? And I think ultimately, if you're responsible for all of your actions, you will ultimately become successful. And that's what I decided to do in 2008, become ultimately successful. I needed to take responsibility for every action, stop making those excuses. I met Jake in 2009, in 2011, Jake moves down to Knoxville, Tennessee. It takes us 18 months, everybody, not one month or two months, Trust the process. 18 months to find that first deal. I understood what my why was, and I understood that I wanted to leave the restaurant and get into a scalable business. I didn't want to fix and flip homes. I already had a job. That's why I jumped directly into multifamily. I could do it part-time. So in 2013, we closed on our first 25-unit property. Three months later, we closed on our second unit. There is the power of momentum. All of a sudden, you've done it once. Behaviors are belief-driven. I can do it again. And within 18 months, we've got over 300 units. I don't know how it happened. Luck of the draw, but putting it out there. I met a great partner named Mike. He's been my partner since the beginning. He helped us out a lot with the money and with the balance sheet to be able to, you know, get these loans. And for us, I guess some of the learning points, some of the big challenges that we had scaling our portfolios, we didn't have systems. We had no property management software. How we, we were using Excel and QuickBooks. You know, to do that, you don't have proper accounting. You don't have proper KPIs. The other thing is we didn't have these weekly meetings, these quarterly meetings. We didn't have our, our rhythms going on. And I think the most important thing for me, especially when I was at the restaurant, I had no core values and I had no mission statement. And when we decided around 800 units, if we're going to continue to scale this, we really need to, need to have core values for all of our different entities, whether it's our insurance company, whether it's our property management company, whether it's our Jake and Gino education company, our development company now. They all need to really be symbiotic and they all need to be, you know, permeate throughout the organization. And every time I was at the restaurant, I would always complain, well, these employees, they're just not good nowadays. You can go back 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and it wasn't the employees, everybody. It's you if you don't have the core values because I didn't know how to hire. I didn't know how to fire these employees. I was always blaming them, but I wasn't hiring based on these core values. I didn't have a true mission statement. I wasn't a leader, and it was the blame game. But once I decided well, I want to have core values, people first, make it happen, extreme ownership, 
unwavering ethics, growth mindset. That's what our core values are. And I would challenge everyone out there, if you want to scale a business and it's not just you or your wife or a couple of buddies out there, you need these core values because you're going to hire and fire your employees. They're going to breathe it. That's the first thing I ask of when we get somebody on who's going to be, you know, on, on, on and we're going to interview them. You know, what are their core values? What are their beliefs? Do they fit those core values? Is it, um, is it my job or is it, no, this is not my job? Well, if it isn't your job, then you're not right for organization. We're a small organization. We're entrepreneurial, and we want to have that, those core values. So coming back to the restaurant, like I said, for 20 years, I couldn't scale it. And that is the one thing that held back. I didn't have any expectations for the employees, but it was up to me that not having these core values didn't allow me to scale the company. So, uh, Gino, about these core values, uh, did you uh, uh, and Jake sit down and whiteboard the whole thing out? Did you have a couple of your employees in the room with you? Walk us through how you built the core values. I think it's really important to your it, success. It is, and, and this is another part where education, so, you, you know, you practice what you preach. We went out, we started first with Traction with EOS. I know a lot of the entrepreneurs out there like Gino Wickman's book. We did that for, you know, a few months, but then we really wanted to get it in-depth, so we ended up hiring the scaling-up coaches, Vern Harnish's group, and we worked with them for about two years, and believe it or not, every quarter we would meet with them, and it took a good six months to get the core value, to flush them out. But we had our executive team on there because we wanted input from all of them as well. And it was a process, learning that process, going through it every quarter and figuring out what really resonates with us. Like you said, whiteboarding it out. And we have those quarterly meetings now every quarter, what we're going to do next quarter for as far as priorities, as far as tasks goes. It's important. We want everyone rowing in the same direction. If we can get everyone rowing in the same direction, and, and we, you know, we're big advocates of the Rockefeller habits as well. So going through those every quarter, picking one out that we're lacking on, those are really, really important. But I challenge everyone out there. If you're in a scaling up situation where you've got 100 units, 120 units, or you're in any business at all, you need to get some type of scaling up coaching. There's so many of them out there, and it's something where it's a mind shift. It really is because you think you need to do it all, and you can't do it all. There's two things we need to leverage. We need to leverage other people's money in real estate, which is really important, but we need to do what Bezos and what Zuckerberg, what everyone else who's superiorly amazing in business is what they do is they leverage other people's time. And by doing that, hiring people to help you do stuff is what really is crucial for you to be able to scale an organization. So uh, can you think back at some uh, failures that uh, popped out, uh, popped out during this 15 year journey of yours and uh, what you learned from one or two of those failures, uh, Gino? Bill, I think one of the things that stands out the most, especially when you're scaling up, is not hiring quick enough. And okay. been very, it's been very difficult to hire somebody, and I will challenge everyone once again. Once you have a pops up in your mind, you're saying, I need help in this, you're, you're way past it, whether it's a bookkeeper, whether it's somebody editing a podcast, whether it's somebody helping you write blogs, whether it's somebody helping you with social media, whatever that is, whether it's somebody for your marketing. We've got a head of marketing now. I held back on that, or a head of human resources. Human resources is the last endeavor that you typically scale up because it's, I, I can hire, I can interview, but now when you're doing interviews, I don't have to waste 15 hours a week on all these different interviews, they send me the three or four, you know, participants that they like the best and I hire and I, you know, interview them. That has been the biggest challenge for us, especially for myself. Jake, not as much, but for me, it's been a little bit tougher. And what I would say to everybody, for instance, if you're hiring somebody, it's going to cost you $100,000 a year. Let's say eight or $9,000 a month. Don't think of it as a $100,000 commitment. Think of it as an $8,000 a month commitment for three months. And that may be a $25,000 commitment. And after three months, if it doesn't work, 
You can let that person go. And it's easier to swallow. It's much more linear. You can understand and grasp it. But I will guarantee you, if you have the system in place and you know what that person needs to do and you get that right person at seat, you're going to 10x that, that situation, whether it's in your sales department, whether it's part of organization or operations, or even for us, we do a lot of live events. I was booking flights. I was calling hotels. You know how much time and waste time that is? And you laugh, but I was at the time. I didn't know any better. And it's like, time out. These are things that aren't generating revenue for you. You need to focus on tasks that are generating revenue that are adding value to the Jake and Gino community students. That does add value, but a different type of value. I have other areas where I can add value. Once I realized that, it's like, wow, okay, I've been being held back for years and years and years. I love your uh, the insights you now have. So what I'd like to, to ask you about now is, <clears throat> so you've got your core values. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for whatever, a marketing manager you just described or an HR person. So tell us about the balance, Gino, between hiring to the core values or hiring to the skill and then what you would, what, how you make the ultimate decision of saying, I'd like you to step up and see if we're a good fit for each other. So walk us through a little case study of values versus skill and how you balance it out. I had the honor of interviewing a gentleman named Steve Robinson. He wrote the book Covert Cows from Chick-fil-A, and he hires on the three C's. That's what Chick-fil-A does. Character, competency, and – gosh, I forgot the number. Character, competency, and um, – Confidence? Com- confidence. Confidence. I, yeah, and confidence. Yes, thank you. Oh. Those three. I was just thinking, I just looked at the book right there, and I remember doing the interview, and those three are really important. Character is so important for me. I want a person – you know – they're going to be around my family. It's a family organization. That one thing that sticks out in our Jake and Gino brand is family, and, and I want them to be part of the family. So character is really, really important. Competency, obviously, they have to be competent in the job, but if they're competent in any skill, I need to find the right job for them. And for us, it comes down to what we call values-based decision-making. We have the same values as the person we're trying to hire. We've been trying to hire an editor for the last couple of months. It's been a challenge because that editor has got to watch our footage. They have to sort of agree with our message. If they hate our message, how are they going to be able to edit our videos? If they're not really a good fit in the office, there's no chemistry, there's no camaraderie, it's going to be more difficult for them to get excited. This person is going to be traveling with us every weekend to these events, meeting the Jake and Gino community. I mean, if they're socialists and they're communists, they're not really going to love capitalism. They're not going to love what we're talking about. So that's a true fit. That's really, really important. And, you know, we're on the process of onboarding a young editor right now. He doesn't have all the skill sets. He can learn those skill sets. But I love his ideas. I love his thought process. I love his excitement. I love his energy. I love the fact that the rest of the team members, uh, you know, really, really like him and are gelling with him as well. So to me, that's really important. I think those three C's and really focusing on, if they're a core fit, a core value fit, and a culture fit, I think that's really, really important nowadays. And I think ultimately, do they buy into the vision? Have I described to them what the vision of our company is? We're out there. People's financial intelligence can change the world for the better. If you don't believe in that statement, then I don't think you could really work for Jake and Gino because that's what our mission is. Our mission is to empower our students. So that's really, really important for me for every person that comes into our organization. Yeah, I think when you use the word student, clearly you've just told us that you'll hire an editor, that fits the core values and teach him the skill. Mm-hmm. It's, you can teach the skill. You can't teach the character and the competency. Nope. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what, Gino, is holding uh, uh, Jake and Gino back now? Mm. One of the things is marketing. Marketing is a, is a difficult endeavor right now because you have to get all of your different, you know, all of your different 
plans out there. We have so many different events. But marketing is a challenging thing. It's not sales. It's really, it's really the, 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 the message that you're trying to put out there. And what we're trying to do is we, use, we employ something called same-side selling. We're not out there. We're not trying to cast a wide net and trying to get it. We're really trying to qualify the prospect that's going to fit our brand. We do the same thing with our students. Every single one of our students, we make sure they go through a goal-setting exercise. We make sure that they invest time before we get on a call with them. And when our, when, our, when our sales team gets on the call with them, they're prepared and they understand what the process is like. So to get that type of qualified prospect and be able to make an investment into their education – they have to find the right mindset. So not just putting marketing out there where, hey, I'm driving a Lamborghini and you're going to attract that type of individual. We don't want that. So to continue to, do, to you know, get that marketing message properly and get it in front of as many people as possible, that's probably been the biggest challenge for, I think, the vast majority of businesses, but for us as well. No, I think you're right. So um, how can our listeners get a hold of you, uh, Gino? JakeAndGino.com. Very simple. Just go there. You'll see the podcast. You'll see all the books we've written. There's free PDF downloads there. You'll find all the information and the resources at, at that website. No, Jake and Gino is an ampersand or A-N-D? A-N-D. A-N-D. JakeandGino.com. Thank you. Okay, uh, so one last question then is, I don't have it. So what question were you uh, maybe waiting for me to ask you? And uh, so tell us that question and then mm. give us the answer to the question I haven't asked you yet. I would say what is ultimately the key to success in anyone's life, whether it's family, whether it's business, whether it's relationships. And we really try to stress, especially multifamily, because it's not an instant gratification. I think it's all about long-termism, having that long-term mindset. And, and that's crucial. My dad was a farmer in Italy. You don't plant the seed and then, you know, get those potatoes a week later. There's a long-term mindset. You're, you're investing yourself today with the expectation of putting in the work, you know, as Jim Rome says. You know, you're not going to get that plant until it's seeded and it's watered. It takes time. So don't be discouraged if it doesn't work out in two or three or four or five or six months. Find somebody to hold you accountable. Put it out there. You know, that's why the mentorship and the education is so important on my end. I didn't have that accountability early on. When I found my partner, Jake, I found that accountability. And then when we laid out a plan to say, hey, the next three, four, five years, this is what we're going to do, continuing with that vision and thinking about the long term, to me, is what separates somebody from someone who's successful who's not successful. Are you going to crypto and NFTs because that's the new fad? Or are you really diving into that space and really learning it? That's the difference between someone who's successful and, and not successful as far as I'm concerned. I love the question. A beautiful answer, Gino. Thank you very much for you. spending your valuable time with us today. I very much appreciate it. I know our listeners did too. Thanks, Bill. So everybody, in closing, let's focus on a single fact, and that is that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Gino just told you that. Instead, it gets there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management. And number three, leveraging high-performance teams, whether they're inside your organization or outside resources like Jake and Gino right here in your wheelhouse. So thanks for listening, Jake. Once again, excuse me, Gino, uh, thanks again for sharing your beautiful time with us. Take care, Bill. Thank you. 